Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, June the 23rd, 2022, and this show will rebroadcast on Monday, June the 27th, 2022, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please join us. At koop.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. This is our 113th post COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis on the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP. Hornsby Austin. Tonight, we turn our attention back to the developing scenario around the Russian-Ukraine crisis. We spend most of the show talking about how the sanctions that have been put on Russia are backfiring on the West and how Ukrainians continue to be the fodder for the foreign policy interests of unipolar United States interests. Special guest Mike Whitney will join us shortly. Thank you for listening and studying the content of this powerful show. Enjoy. So welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos. Today is June 23rd, 2022. We are going to be taping our interview to, to be rebroadcast on this Monday, June the 27th, 2022, and delighted to have back on Bringing Light into Darkness, Mike Whitney, the investigative reporter and geopolitical analyst that's been active in reporting and writing for decades. Mike, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thanks for having me, Pedro. What I wanted to do is a couple of things, if I could. I wanted to take advantage of your expertise and knowledge about the ongoing Ukraine-Russia conflict. And there's so many different dimensions about it outside of the actual physical warfare that's going on. And I wanted to focus a little bit more on those tonight because we've been covering it from all other angles for some time. But if you'll excuse me, I wanted to highlight a couple of points from a recent speech that Vladimir Putin made on June 17th, just a week ago, 2022, is a Friday, last Friday. It was the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum in which he delivered at the 25th Forum. He highlighted a number of things, and actually you wrote an article that addressed many of them. So let me go through his highlights here, and then we'll get your comments about a number of things. But you know, he indicated really the most important understanding was that there were new centers of power that have been emerging in the world over the last few decades, right? That there used to be this unipolar world in which the United States came out of World War II relatively unchallenged in its economic and military might, and everyone else was kind of rebuilding from the war. 
he doesn't really say that, but that's what he means by the unipolar world, that there has been a, a colonial way of thinking that has been driving this unipolar world universe that has failed. He also indicates with the end of the Cold War, the United States asserted itself as the standalone major power of the world. So one of the things that I wanted to also share is that there was really no dissent allowed from the United States dictates that when the United States wants something, pretty much it is unacceptable to go in another direction, which by definition contradicts the idea of sovereignty, of making individual choices. In fact, I think President George Bush said it best when he said, you know, you're either with us or against us. And Putin has said that these new centers of power have since emerged and they have a right, like any other sovereign nation of the world, to dissent. They have a right to protect their own systems, their own economic models, and their own sovereignty. I find that really interesting because countries are determined to be human rights violators, not when they violate human rights, but when they go on their own path. You know, like Saddam Hussein was our ally for so long until he started to do his own thing and wanted to introduce some you know, reforms and things within his country that contradicted some of the interests of these power structures, interests that, that the West is involved in. But to get back to what Putin was talking about, he also indicated that these U.S.-NATO countries, they sought to crash the Russian economy, that their sanctions have instead boomeranged, and also the European countries have lost their sovereignty. There's, he doesn't say this, but it's almost like they're vassal states. They've sacrificed their own majority population interests to just follow the dictates of Washington and by following those dictates, they're increasingly taking the brunt of this boomerang effect from these sanctions he alluded to. And those dictates have resulted in doing economic harm to their economies. And really the quality of life for their people, for the, their populations is what is at stake. And then finally, the economies of the EU populations from the sanctions alone are going to cost, in his estimation, according to his speech, in excess of $400 billion a year. Before going any further, I, I want to mention something too. The United States has this great wealth inequality, and it keeps growing and growing and growing, and it grows during COVID. It grows during the Great Recession. When, when you look at different elements bouncing back, it's always the wealthiest that come back strongest and the quickest. And it's just not a nice system to the vast majority of the U.S. population. And they've increasingly felt the grind of losing really the middle class, right? Now, Russia is no paradise either. When you look at the Gini coefficient, that inequality index, they're actually a little bit better than the U.S., but they definitely are not paradise. So when we critique these countries in the U.S.-Russia situation that's going on, it's not to say that we're all in with the Russian economy or something like that. But with that being said, you wrote a piece back on June 15th in the UNS Review called Meet the New Boss, Putin Reroutes Critical Hydrocarbons Eastward, Leaving Europe High and Dry. So I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you to help our audience understand is that there was enormous Russia sanctions amounts even before the sanctions started occurring against Russia. They were already there. 
They just got accelerated during this post-February 2022 invasion. But the United States and the West, they sanction close to a third of the world. And the people that really feel the brunt of all that are these majority populations and the food insecurities and all these other things that are going on were going on well before in the February 2022 invasion and continue to go on. And all of this is really getting blamed on Russia. So I guess a good starting point, can you explain how the sanctions were jacked up since the February invasion of Ukraine by Russia, yet the effects to the Russian economy, as you detail in your article, their economy is getting much stronger related to the rest of the world's economies. And the opposite is happening to not just the European Union nations, which are filling the uh, energy crunch drivers, but also the United States. Can you frame that for us? Sure. As you know, there have been economic sanctions on Russia since 2014, when the government was toppled by in a CIA coup in Ukraine. And, uh, Russia intervened and took seized uh, Crimea, didn't send troops in, but had troops there at the time. And through a referendum, uh, Crimea was reunited with Russia. At the same time, Russia has been supportive of the Russian-speaking or the ethnic Russians in the eastern part of Ukraine called the Donbass, which is where all the fighting is going on right now. And uh, they've been supportive of them. The, the, those people have been suffering constant bombardment for the last eight years. And it was in on their behalf that Russia finally intervened and sent in the troops on a special military operation, which was essentially to liberate that area so those people wouldn't have to feel the effects of the same war that was being waged on them, on the civilian population for the last eight years. But of course, when Russia did on February 24th intervene and sent the troops in, the uh, sanctions escalated and expanded to all areas of commerce, culture, everything. Now it's that they involve even the SWIFT program allows you to complete financial transactions internationally, you know, which is a very essential program. They're boycotted from that now. And their reserves, $300 billion worth of reserves, foreign reserves, and foreign central banks were seized, actually stolen. So now, basically, the reason that Russia has insisted that people pay for their people in Europe, pay for their gas and oil in rubles is because they're banned from the European market. So it is not in their, their interest at all that they accept euros in payment because they can't access the market to use them. So uh, that's the motive behind that. But as you were saying, these harsh economic sanctions have boomeranged quite catastrophically for Europe in particular, but for the United States as well, where we've seen the prices of gas skyrocket in the last two months. For example, take Germany. Germany gets 55% of its natural gas from Russia. Uh, it also gets 30% of its oil from Russia. And that excludes the coal and the minerals and also the fertilizer that they get from, from Russia. So uh, they're in a terrible predicament. They're trying to find substitutes, but the substitutes for oil are never going to work out because that would require tweaking their refinery process, which is uh, virtually impossible. Oil is not oil is not oil. There are different grades and different 
you know, uh, types, et cetera, that uh, just cannot be processed the same way. And it's, you know, Europe is putting itself in a terrible position where they're going to be actually the least competitive area region in the world. So yeah. Yeah. Excuse me for interrupting, but just to be clear to our listeners, the reason you bring up the fact that oil is different as it comes out of the ground, which is a very true statement, is that the the refineries, particularly in Germany, that refine the oil that they get from Russia over all of these years of getting the oil from Russia is of a certain grade. So the refineries are all set up for that type of grade of oil. Is that right? Yeah, it's a very high quality uh Urals blend that the vast majority comes through pipelines. And uh, so it's all, everything has been organized around using that particular product. And it's not like you can just change it out without doing major transformational changes to your refinery that most people estimate would take about six years. Well, obviously they don't have that kind of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, the United States, Washington is actually pushing all of Europe towards an energy crisis, unlike anything they've ever experienced, including the 1970s. So we don't know how this is going to be resolved, but in the short term, Germany has already accepted that it's going to have to reopen coal burning plants. Now, if you keep in mind that the reason they were in this situation to begin with is that they were trying to transition too quickly to green energy. And now they're faced burning the most, you know, carbon poisoning substance that is available. So, but there really is no alternative. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me, and we'll get back to some of the other issues from Putin's speech for you to speak to as well. But it seems like, you know, what Russia has been trying to do for the last couple of decades is to join the EU nations as an equal trade partner, which is which they've been denied. I mean, they've constantly been denied and they were just on the cusp with the Nordstrom pipeline of really starting to increase that trade. And it seemed like that was one of the very major things. If you go back to what I think is inevitably a major issue is the world domination. The U.S.-led Western economic unipolar domination of the world economy in which any country that threatens or chips away at that domination is seen as a threat and demonized accordingly. And that can be explained very simply because it was Russia's vast energy resources coupled with the mechanical and industrial powerhouse of Germany in particular, but uh, Europe as a whole that Washington was concerned about most, that sort of economic integration that was going to create potentially a free trade zone from Lisbon to Vladivostok, which would uh, leave the United States on the outside with no role to play. Not only that, it empowers the Russian economy because what they start on with the mainly oil and energy, once you start a relationship of of significant economic trade, you're going to develop all sorts of other industrial trading elements as well. And again, you're right, the U.S. would be left out in a sense of losing that very extreme advantage that they have over the rest of the world. But, But what it does is it denies the free trade and fair trade aspirations of different countries, right? I mean, that's essentially when you think about all the sanctioning. 
let me digress for a minute. Mm. Uh, it was about a month ago that Kissinger gave his talk to the World Economic Forum and caused quite a stir because he went against the majority opinion, which is Russia has to be penalized and punished and sanctioned for its so-called invasion of Ukraine. They still maintain that it wasn't an invasion, that they were uh, provoked. But in any event, the reason Kissinger's most poignant warning was just that you only have a certain amount of time, this was a month ago, to figure this out and to make peace with Russia, because otherwise they are reorienting and redirecting their hydrocarbons, that's their natural gas and their oil. They're going to be taking lesser revenue from those, the sale of those, but they're going to be going to more reliable partners in India, in Africa, in Asia, in China, et cetera, et cetera. And that, in fact, is what's happened. And uh, different uh, officials in the, the Russian you know, establishment command have said repeatedly, we're not turning around. This is it. If you guys screw us over this time, we're not going to depend on the West in the future. So this redirection of energy, which is critical to the growth, you know, there's a, as I've mentioned before, there's a direct connection between the amount of oil and gas that's consumed by any population and their GDP. So growth and energy consumption are one and the same. And when you are denied those, that energy security, you can expect to have a very severe downturn in your economy for as long as that energy depletion or that energy situation lasts. And that is the situation that Europe is in. And it's not going to change. Leadership of Russia is not going to change. They're, just, they're not going to sell their natural gas and oil to Europe anymore because they do right. not want, you know, keep in mind, there were two Nord Stream pipelines. And the second one was, it was completely finished. As a matter of fact, it was filled with natural gas. It was just waiting for it to be regulators at the 11th hour and decided the new government of Olaf Schultz in Germany under orders from Washington canceled the whole deal. As far as the Russians are concerned, they went to the 11th hour before they decided that they were not going to honor their agreement with Russia on the Nord Stream 2 deal. Mm -hmm. And that was a $10 billion deal that uh, took three, four, five years to complete. And so it was a major project and the people signed the agreement to consummate this deal. And then they reneged at the last minute. So Russia is feeling like they're not reliable partners. Uh, so Mike, let me just backtrack to provide some important context for our listeners. On February 22nd, 2022, two days before the Russian invasion, Germany froze the Nord Stream 2 deal with Russia following the formal recognition of Donetsk and Lugansk by Russia. Those are the two breakaway regions in Eastern Ukraine. And these regions are overwhelmingly Russian speaking and have been victimized by the Ukrainian army's random but continuous bombings and shellings since the US-backed unconstitutional coup of 2014 that deposed the president, Yanukovych, the presidential choice, that had overwhelmingly in the previous Ukraine presidential election been the democratic choice by the Donetsk and Lugansk majority populations. And these shellings over the last seven years had taken some 14,000 lives, overwhelmingly civilian lives in the Lugansk and Donetsk area. While the recognition 
of Donetsk and Lugansk by Russia was cited as the reason to back out of the Nord Stream deal. In fact, Germany had been already dragging its feet for the past year or so, even though the, the pipeline had been finished. And why were they dragging their feet? Because behind the scenes, the U.S. was calling the shots. As you described, although the pipeline would be a boom for the German economy, it had the additional outcome of reducing and challenging U.S. economic dominance and economic interests in the region. I digress here to make the important geopolitical rule of thumb point, namely the concept that we have used on this show many times, that there is this U.S.-led international power structure that the U.S. economic interests and benefits that are monopolized by a small elite class within the United States actually partner with the same small elite one-tenth of one percent economic class in Germany and UK and France and all of the former Western colonial powers, if you will. This small elite, just as in the United States, forms and constitutes this international power structure are loyal not to their majority population's interests, but to their own economic interests. So it is in this light then, therefore, although the German people will suffer enormous economic pain, just as what is happening to our middle class, I might add, due to our unconscionable levels of wealth inequality, because their interests are subservient to the world economic order interests led by this international power structure, if you will, in which behind the curtains, the U.S. elite calls the shots. And this is the unipolar world that Putin was speaking to in his recent St. Petersburg speech that we began the show with. Once again, the unconscionable levels of wealth inequality in which a small elite, some one-tenth of one percent of the world's population are are the sole beneficiaries, are the ones that are calling the shots Meanwhile, the rest of the world suffers with food insecurity and other forms of preventable misery. This is an important geopolitical context that is completely absent from our U.S. media discourse. Meanwhile, in your article, a number of important points, as you have alluded to, that when the energy costs start soaring, then you really are crippled economically because as you go out onto the world market, as I understand what you wrote, your costs are a lot more to produce the same products and therefore they're not nearly as competitive. So you indicate that these manufacturers are getting hobbled with their ability to compete in the global marketplace. So at a political level, at a geopolitical level, you have an elite international power structure, if you will, that are all trying to basically demonize Russia, demonize any country that takes a different path from the mainstream, whether it was Libya and Gaddafi in the African continent, is just one of many good examples. But, but what's going to happen, according to your predictions, and actually Putin highlights it as well, is that at the end of the day, these countries are going to lack the resources needed to heat their homes and those types of things. And the quality of life for the majority population is going to go down the drain. Now, this is not going to affect these ultra elite that are serving the U.S. interests and sacrificing their own country's welfare. This is really what Putin is claiming, is that they're sacrificing the welfare of the majority population of their own countries, and the chickens are going to come home to roost. And if I understand what you're saying, that's exactly 
the issue that if we if we fast forward another year or so, there's going to be all sorts of political upheavals at the voting box or other ways. Well, I, I think we're already seeing it, aren't we? Like, look at the French election, the parliamentary election, and Le Pen, who was always considered been too much an extremist, her party won the majority in parliament, and now Macron is powerless because he thinks he wants to, any legislation he wants to get passed. And that sort of populism is only happening because the elites are no longer responsive, even to the basic material survivalist interests of the people they're supposed to be serving. Think of how this is going to impact the standards of living in, for people in Germany. And you're not talking about a long way off. You're talking about a few months off where you've already seen a tripling of natural gas and the gas is still flowing. Mike, before we continue, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. I want to remind you that you are listening to 91.7 KOOP Hornsby Austin. This is bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis, which airs every Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time in the capital city of Austin, Texas. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> 